You're listening to Story Power, the podcast dedicated to disruptive storytelling. These are the stories of everyday people changing the world. I'm your host, Jen Kinney. Welcome. Sarah Quint is a citizen of the Mattapanai Nation of Senecomica, Turtle Island, Eastern Virginia, USA. She is a mother of two boys, River and Reed. She is a creative who remodels homes for a living and also has a love for plant knowledge and foraging. With the help of her elders and the Holy Spirit, Sarah has been walking the decolonizing, contextualizing, and reconnecting way of Jesus. Sarah leads in this integrating journey through writing songs in her tribe's traditional tongue, connections to the land, writing, teachings, and oral storytelling. She is a church planter, currently co-pastoring with her husband at Monroe City Church in Monroe, Michigan, that is set to launch in 2021. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. How are you doing today? I am doing really good today. The sun is trying to come out. The snow is helping to emphasize it, and I just kind of woke up with a spring in my step today. So. <laughs> Where are you uh, coming from right now? I'm a guest on the land of the Potawatomi in present day Monroe, Michigan. Um, so I am just south of Detroit area. Uh, and I'm a guest here, not originally from here. So I just recently met you mm-hmm. online through a shared faith community that we're a part of the inverse podcast. And I just, I listened to you speak for about five minutes and I thought I really want to connect with Sarah and learn about who you are and your story. The thing that really drew me to you was the fact that you're a woman and a pastor Mm -hmm. and the way that you held space and reverence for, for other people's stories and that really was like, oh, it was such a, a deep breath for me. And so I reached out to you and we have a silly little story that, you know, <laughs> I was very tired. Um, but yeah, so I had asked you to come on the podcast and you were game. So I'm really excited to just hear about you and who you are and get to know your story. So tell us a little bit about who you are. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for saying all that. That's very kind. Yeah, there's a couple things that make me unique. Um, But this is to me, it's just my life. It's just my call. So I'd love to introduce myself uh, to the listeners and honestly, a little more to you because we're just getting to know each other as well. Yeah. Um, But if you wouldn't mind, I would love to introduce myself in my traditional way. And it'll be in my traditional tongue. And eventually I'll get back to English. I promise. (laughs) Awesome. Wingana Goa, Nedetti Wintz, Sarah Quint, Nek Donna Castillo, Nahom Jean Castillo, Naksom Otho Kasuo, Naksoma Manetowik Palatan, Wahon Senaka, Denapewak Mataponi, Anir Nenawa, Senekomaka, Anir Nenawa. And what I said there in my tribal language is hello, greetings to my friends and my relatives. My name is Sarah Quint. I introduced my mother, my grandmother, my grandfathers, and I am from the Mattapanai tribe in present day Senekomaka, which is what we call Uh, Eastern Virginia. So that's where my tribe is from. That's where I'm originally from. My people 
still um, take care of our ancestral lands, some on reservation, some off. So yeah, that's where I'm originally from, but I currently am a guest on the land here in Monroe, Michigan. So from run one river, our uh, tribal lands are on the Mattapai River. It's been our life source, um, our substance, our baptismal fount, our, you know, <laughs> it's been everything to us. It's how we have made our living. It's how we transported. We used our riverways as roadways. Um, so I moved from one river to a next. So I currently live on with a Potawatomi named the Numasepe, which is the river of sturgeon. Um, because at one point it was so full of sturgeon um, that the French settlers who came in had joked that you could walk across the river like Jesus <laughs> without sinking because it was so full. Today, wow. the French renamed it the River Raisin because there was wild grapes all along the um, the shorelines, but we no longer have grapes or sturgeon because um, the water is, is now polluted. So I just kind of wanted to give honor to the place that I'm at and remember the Potawatomi and the river that they had taken such good care of and kind of mourn the loss of what we're missing now here. So from one river to the next, I came here uh, because my husband and I are co-pastors and he is actually from here. So my husband is non-native, uh, but he was born and raised here in Monroe, Michigan. So I fell in love with a man. That is the only reason <laughs> I would move from Eastern Virginia, <laughs> from the warm South to this very cold uh, region of the U.S. So yeah, right. That's yeah, when I'm you here. told me that you moved to Monroe from where you came from, I'm like, why? What? What? Yeah. Tell me. <laughs> yeah. How? How is this a thing? Because I live in Michigan and it's so cold, and I would love to move out. I know. I. I got to admit, I was a, I was not a good transplant. Like for the first, we've been here now. We first moved into Toledo, which is for the listeners is just right across the line from Monroe. Um, so just about 30 minutes south. So we first moved to Toledo, Ohio, and then inched our way up to Monroe. Um, and that was about, I think we've been, we've been up here for about 11 years. So those first few years, I had some serious culture shock and I really, really missed my home. And at that time in my life, I was really um, reconnecting with my heritage and my tribe and getting closer to my cousins. And so it really did feel out of place and out of time. And I struggled here for a bit, um, yeah. learning to be native and indigenous to this place and to accept it um, was hard for me, for sure. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And if we have time, I'd love to explore that more. But I know that you have some specific things on your heart yeah. and mind that you want to share. Absolutely. So I would love to just open that up because something that you talked about was um, reconnecting. Yeah. And I think that's a bit of a theme in what we're going to talk about today. For sure. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to talk about, I guess in general, we'll be talking about connection today. But I'd love, and it even can tie into more about how I got connected to uh, this area of Michigan, um, not being from here. And so I think there's tons of different ways that we find connection, especially to the spiritual. And as natives, we don't um, compartmentalize. So it's not like Sundays are spiritual or Sabbath is spiritual or even ceremony is spiritual, but everything else is 
just very human and non-spiritual. We see connection in lots of things. And so uh, I wanted to talk about one specific way that I have found connection uh, with Creator as a Mattapanai woman, and that's through dreams. Uh, And (laughs) so, yeah, I was hoping we could share some stories today and rap about dream life. One of the dreams that I have had, I can look back on my life and every major event, turning point, whether it was marriage or moving or maybe a step, a ministry step has all been accompanied for me uh, with a dream. And I know that's not unique to myself. Jen, are you, have you had spiritual dreams before? Dreams that you're like, that's not just, you know, Taco Bell talking. Like, this is something oh, yeah. more. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, it was interesting because, you know, you and I connected for the listeners. Yeah. We connected last week to just kind of, you know, for you to find out who is this person DMing me <laughs> and asking me to be on her podcast, yeah. right? And so we meet up to talk. And when you started sharing with me this idea, I mean, honestly, I don't really get to talk to a lot of people who have dreams who that play such a, a significant role in their life. And so when you started sharing, I got teary eyed because I was like, okay, whoa, like this is beyond just me on a whim saying I want to connect with Sarah and have her on the show and hear from her. There's something more in this yeah. because for me, dreams have played such a huge and significant role in my life. Very cool. Yeah, I I can say the same thing. Um, to dream is to be human and to connect with spirit and dream is also to be human. It's, it's this place that God created um, for us to commune. And you look at all cultures across the globe and because it is human to dream, They all have their different ways that they handle and respect dreams and talk about them. Um, In my particular culture and a lot of the Eastern Woodland tribes, it was not uncommon to have a practice where every morning when the family would wake up from the elders down to the children, you would share your dreams. What was your dreams like last night? And describe them to me. And some of them could be maybe dreams of wisdom uh, maybe dreams of warning. There's dreams of communion where you get to see people that maybe have walked on um, or a communion with, with spirit, with God himself. Some of them could just be for fun. But I think one of the cool things about that practice of sharing dreams is we believed that this dream world was kind of like a, I don't even know if I'm using this phrase the right way, but like a thin space. Yeah. where the spirit world and the physical world kind of combine. Um, and so it's where you can commune with God and he can speak with you. And I can relate to that because, I mean, when you're sleeping, your physical faculties are kind of on pause, a lot of them. It's that yeah. one place in my life that I'm not in control, which I tend to be a perfectionist and a controller. And so Same. it's like that time <laughs> in my life where I'm not, I'm not manipulating this. I'm not controlling this. And yet God is here. Um, and so there's a, almost more of an ease there. And I love that that was a practice of ours because what it intentionally or unintentionally did, a byproduct of it, was it cultivated a continuous spirituality, even in children. So these kids were hearing from their grandmothers, from their mothers and fathers, what did you dream last night? 
share your wisdom, share your experience, share your connection. And that's so beautiful because it was, it gave them this autonomy and this, I don't know, this ability. It just reassured them that no matter your age, um, no matter your season in life, you can and are connecting with God. And that's just so beautiful. Um, I love, I love that connection because I feel like maybe some of the dominant uh, Christian culture has made us believe that these are the ways you can connect with God. You know, it's on Sunday mornings, it's through Mm -hmm. this Bible study, or this devotional is how you're going to connect with him, or this is this. But like, it, it just showed you that there's so many ways to feel spirit. So yeah, dreams were a big part of our tradition, um, as well as so many more throughout all of history. God has communed with us two-legged of creation through dreams. It's just one of those connections. And so we're talking today about reconnecting to place, reconnecting to people and culture, um, reconnecting spiritually. And obviously dreams is not the end all be all, but it's one of those places that we connect uh, with the spirit. Yeah. Um, I'd like to share one dream with you. That was the most transformative, experience um and dream for me that changed the course of my life and allowed me to be a mad fully mad up and I and fully a follower of Jesus that was a hard transition um and I'll explain a little bit why so a little bit more of my backstory so my mother um is a mad up and I woman and her parents are both mad up and I um but she uh found fell in love with my dad uh who is a white man of German Irish and English descent. They got married and my mother was the first generation to live off of the reservation. My grandparents chose um, to bring her into the city of Richmond um, and raise her there. Schools had just been integrated a few years prior. So she was allowed to go to, she was the first generation allowed to go to public schools. Um, So they were really hoping to move into the city center and um, almost assimilate to survive, to uh, to just try to get some sort of life, get better jobs. Our reservation is very rural, um, so not a lot of financial opportunities. So when she had moved off the reservation, then she meets my father, um, who is not a native. And uh, so I was raised in a household that was not connected to my traditions. Um, so my early childhood life, we, I knew that you know I was native, and I knew the name of my tribe. And I knew that there was cousins and grandparents and people who lived on this place called the reservation, which was just over there, you know, but we didn't visit. Um, and it was more of a neat fact, you know, like an ancestry.com find, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, ooh, oh, yeah. neat, you're native. Um, but it wasn't um, something that we celebrated or really dove into. And I became, uh, I hesitate to say this, especially when more we talk, you'll understand why, but. I became a follower of Jesus around the age of 10, but I can see long before that how God was always there and finding ways to express himself. And so I can see that, but I made a conscious choice to follow Jesus at the age of 10 and was brought up first in a Southern Baptist denomination and then um, more to Pentecostal. I, as a teenager, I, um, really felt a strong call to to ministry and 
I didn't know that there was this thing that said women aren't allowed to be pastors. Um, all I knew, I, I was very ignorant to that. Um, all I knew was God had told me to. And so <laughs> that was enough for me. Thank God. <laughs> Sometimes ignorance is bliss. So I went off to Bible college um, and that's uh, where I met my husband. So that's like the fast forward of my socio-cultural religious upbringing. Um, but in my early, you know, once I became an adult, I moved out of the house. I had my own car. I could make my own friends. School wasn't so hindering, you know, where I could start to read what I want. I can, you know, do these things. And I could not help but feel called back to my traditions and back to my people. It was incessant. It was such a strong, it wasn't just a desire. It wasn't a curiosity. It was a need is the only way I can describe it. And so it started off with me just like researching through books and websites, like who were we, who are we now? But reconnecting through a book is not a great way. To, that's, not, that's a very colonial way to reconnect. So that's how I started just to get a base knowledge. But I started to reconnect with my tribe, you know, getting to know my cousins better. Uh, my grandfather lived on the reservation, so that was very helpful. So I just started uh, making trips there multiple times a year, no matter where I lived, and just just sitting with him and uh, walking the grounds and putting my feet in our river and um, going to ceremonies and going to cultural classes on my tribe, um, tribal grounds and such. So I was doing these things to reconnect. But at the same time, I'm co-pastoring with my husband and I'm in a predominantly white evangelical world. Um, and it is notoriously known that Christianity and being indigenous don't mix. At least that's what's taught. That's what has been taught. And I felt such a, it was turmoil, just to be honest. It was, it was straight up turmoil. I would go to bed thinking about my people and my heritage and my traditions, and I'd wake up thinking about them. But I kept a lot of this very internalized because I had no one up here at the time. I hadn't had that dream yet. <laughs> I was like, just find the people. They're here. <laughs> like, find these women. Um, I hadn't had that yet. And so I was like, and I just had this feeling like there was that part of me was evil. Like, that's, there's, that part of me wasn't good. Yeah. Um, like, you shouldn't share that part and God's not in it. But I have this fierce love for Jesus that was like unshakable. And so I was like, I will not deny you and I want to live for you. But man, like, why did you make me this way? Like, why did you make me mad upon a woman if it's so evil? You know, I really had these struggles. Um, I'll share a quick story about just what that's really like. Um, I went to church and my husband and I were uh, youth pastors. And so Sunday morning, we had some obligations too. So I'd go and almost every Sunday, somebody would come up and we were at a predominantly white church and somebody would come up and say something either as a joke or that was just flat out racist. Now, remember we're in Custertown. People are very proud of that fact. So we're already starting from that place that this is our hero and he killed your people. So Custer jokes, which to me don't exist. There's no punchline for that. Um, all sorts of things, um, just offhanded comments, uh, so many 
Cherokee great grandmothers. So many, like everyone has a Cherokee great grandmother. <laughs> like my husband and I have a joke that everyone comes up to you when they find out you're indigenous and they'll be like, yes, oh, actually I am too. My family talks about it. My great grandmother. And they always say, I saw a picture of her and you could see it in her cheekbones or she had her hair braided as if no one else has cheekbones and braided hair in the history of people. And then they always say she was Cherokee. So I don't know who this Cherokee grandmother was, but she had some free love. Like she was, <laughs> she was, she was open for love because she got some babies. <laughs> She's got a lot of babies. She's not claiming them either. They're claiming her. <laughs> My husband and I are not drinkers, but if we made that into a drinking game, like our livers would be gone, like completely gone. <laughs> so <laughs> to all the real Cherokee grandmas out there, I see you. So this lady comes up to me after service and she needs to speak with me. And I'm thinking she wants prayer or something. And she says, so I want to redecorate my home. And I've got these objects and this decor that I want to bring in, but it's very like Southwestern, Native American. And she's like, and I'm just worried. And she like looks around as if someone might be listening. She's like, I'm just worried I might like invite something in. It speaks to the depth and the root of anti-Native sentiment yeah. within the church. For sure. It's, it's deep. Yeah, this is deep, though, because it is. for me, like growing up where my father raised us to identify heavily with this idea that we had indigenous ancestry, like mm -hmm. we went yearly and we had so many artifacts and definitely like spiritual artifacts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, our entire home decorated with lots and lots of things yeah. and and having this experience of being told like this stuff is evil, evil. it's a portal it's a <laughs> you know and yeah. like and and just having that hammered and drilled into me mm -hmm. i mean there was a period when when i became a christian that i took all of that stuff and i boxed it up and i put it in my basement wow yeah. But that physical reaction is also the internal spiritual soul reaction. You boxing up all that stuff is the same thing that so many natives who love Jesus feel like they have to do. Box up your language, box up your dances, box up your songs and your prayers, box up your food, box up everything and and hide it away. Richard Twist, who's one of my favorite um native theologians, his books really, really helped me in this transitioning period. But he makes this joke um, that when he came to know Jesus as a native Lakota man, um, he says that he spoke with a pastor and was basically asking him, what do I do with my indigeneity? Like, which is just a funny question to ask, because I wonder if anybody who was like, you know, Irish or German or anything came to know Christ and was like, what do I do with my Irishness now? Like, what other cultures come and like, be like, so what do I do with this? <laughs> but like you said, there's this understanding that being native is evil. And he makes this joke about uh, the pastor basically telling him, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things have passed away and behold, all things have become white. Is, 
is the implications of American Christianity to the native people of this land. Yes. As if white culture is morally at, at worst, morally neutral, but at best morally supreme. And they don't see it. Like there is no culture. Just be, just become one of us, just become part of a church. And they think that they're in some isolation bubble that doesn't have culture. And I'm like, are you sure? Because when I was in the South, y'all were playing softball after church and you always went to the same Mexican restaurant and you kind of dressed the same. Like there's some culture happening here. <laughs> like, that's very true. <laughs> um, yeah. This, there's- is, this brings up a lot for me because growing up, I was surrounded by Christian friends uh-huh. Uh-huh. who were trying to convert me and show me the way. And I didn't know about the doctrine of discovery when I was 16, 17, 18. But like the things that people would just say outright with, I mean, it was just, it was disgusting. And I was constantly fighting those narratives, not really understanding. And at the same time, internalizing that. And that just hit so hard. That internalizing though is so real. And even as we're decolonizing and deconstructing maybe our outward behaviors and our outward world, there is still a very active colonizer living in my brain and living in my spirit. And I haven't been really great at evicting them yet. And Mm -hmm. at this point in my history, I know this is long, we're leading up to this dream. um, That colonizer was running everything and had boxed up my... Yahokan, my native house, and put everything away. Um, and I was, I was struggling, deeply struggling, because it felt like I was denying um, who I was. And I was, I was denying who I was. And, um, and it wasn't just like frowned upon in American Christianity uh, to practice native culture. It was actually illegal. And I don't know if people know this, but it was illegal to practice native ceremonies and spirituality until not 1878, but 1978 was when the American Religious Freedom Act was passed. I mean, we're talking almost 1980 when they were finally like, okay, you can practice your religion. And so it wasn't just um, in the Christian world. It was also in our politics. I mean, it was outlawed for us to be ourselves. And I also don't want anybody to think that because 1978, an act was passed that everything is fine now, because we're still struggling to freely practice those things. Um, At this time in my life, I like to say that this unrelenting call to return home and to return to those traditional ways, I mistook the voice of God calling me home. I mistook it for a temptation. I genuinely thought because of that internalized hate that I was being tempted to disobey God when it was really his voice calling me home and to be who I was, like to be human, to be my type of human that he created. And that's crazy to think about, but that was my reality. Mm. That's where I was. Um, And so I had believed this lie that loving Jesus and being fully a Mattapanai woman were incompatible. Those two things couldn't be together. But then I had a conversion moment. Um, So one night in the middle of the struggle, 
just to place you, I'm in, place myself, I'm in Monroe, Michigan, I'm in Custer Town, I'm hiding, I'm passing, I'm, you know, boxed up all my stuff, but I'm secretively like studying, reconnecting, I'm sneaking out of the house, meeting with like the Detroit Native Center and like finding my people, but I feel like I'm living this double life um, and I couldn't do it anymore. And I went to bed one night and I just said, I prayed and I said, Jesus, if you want me to throw all of this away and never look back, I will. Like literally anything for you because you've done everything for me and I love you so much. I would do anything. Thank God that's not what he wanted. Um, I said, but if this is okay, could you just show me? Because I have no one else to show me. And at this point in time, I had never met a native who was fully a follower of Jesus and fully living out their traditions. I'd never seen that before. Now I've met plenty of them, but before this, I had never seen that happen before. I'd seen plenty of natives who were living in the white world, in the white ways, and following Jesus. But I had never seen those things combined. So I go to bed, and I'd love to tell you the story of the dream. Yeah, absolutely. Here's the musical break. (laughs) Where I need to go and get a tissue. You do, because it's about to come down. It's ridiculous. (laughs) I'll be right back. And have I mentioned I'm You're not, not a, a crier. crier? I know. You said that, I mean, but I've only had a couple experiences with you so far. So It's ridiculous. <laughs> and both times you made me cry. Listen, it's so funny that you say that because people always say that I make them cry. Like, that's <laughs> a I joke. Am. That's a joke. Like, Steve always, my husband's name is Steve, and he's always like, everyone, every time they talk to you, I just want to pass by and hand them a tissue and keep walking. Like, it's coming. Just have your tissue. <laughs> that is the funniest thing. I don't know. We're just going to talk truth and be real. All right. So it was late one night in November of 2017. And Creator came to me in a dream that settled the score of, is it okay for me to be mad at an eye? Did he make a mistake when he created me as an indigenous woman on this land? So in my dream, I go to bed and I am sleeping in real time in this dream and I can kind of see myself. And then I wake up and it's still dark outside. My husband's next to me sleeping and I wake up because my head is throbbing. I'm in so much pain. And it's that kind of heat pain where you can feel your heartbeat like pumping through, you know, your scalp. And the top of my head is just irritated and in pain. Um, And so I reach my hand up to feel what's going on. And I feel massive welts, bumps all across my head, probably 50 bumps. And they're hot and they're angry and they're red. And I have no idea what's going on. So obviously this is not a normal thing. (laughs) So I'm freaking out a little bit and I'm thinking, I got to run to the bathroom and see what these bumps are. And especially before my husband wakes up, like, this is beyond like bedhead and morning breath. (laughs) You know, this is well past that. So I run into my bathroom and I have long, thick black hair. Um, So I I part my hair and I can see there's like one to two inch tall bumps. There's something there. And I I hate telling this part of the dream because it is so gross, but it's, it's the reality of it. So I'm, I'm freaking out. And I'm like, I have to get, I have to pop these. I have to see get rid of this and start my day. And so there's one right on the front of my head and I pop it and I'm expecting what you would expect to come out. But instead there's porcupine quills that 
suddenly relieve themselves from the pressure of this bump. And they're not just floating around there. They are part of me. They are stuck in my scalp. They are growing out of me just like hair would. No, no, this can't happen. <laughs> like I'm thinking, I am a human. I am not a porcupine. I can't have this. So I grab my tweezers and I grab a few quills um, by their ends and I pluck them out. And my sink is full of water. And I throw the quills in the sink and they're spinning around in the water and they become animated and they crawl up my arm quickly and reintroduce themselves to my scalp and they put themselves firmly back where they were. And so I'm frantically popping, plucking, and I can't keep up. Like they keep coming back. This is who it is. This is who I am now. Like I am growing quills on my head. And this dream was like so alarming that I woke myself up. And I knew this might sound like a crazy, crazy pregnancy dream, but there was a distinction here. You have to remember, I went to bed praying too, that the Lord would give me an answer. And I don't know how I can specifically define how I know which dreams have meaning and purpose and intention and which ones don't. But this one was heavy. This one was thick with spiritual intention. And But for the first time in my life, I had no interpretation. Like, what was that? <laughs> like, that's weird. <laughs> that's some weird stuff. And so I was like, okay, Lord, um, I guess I'll just wait. And he's always been the one to kind of translate the dreams for me and show me what the meanings were. And for a couple of days, I had nothing. Well, one night I'm on Facebook scrolling, late night scrolling on Facebook, trying to fall asleep. And uh, one of my childhood friends, Katrina, post and she doesn't often post and she posted and she said this is going to be really weird I've never done this before she goes but I feel like the Lord is asking me to interpret someone's dream and she's like but I need to preface this before that I'm not a dream interpreter so I don't know why he's asked me to do this and I was like you know what if she's going to be bold I'm going to be bold so I like messaged her private messenger I was like I actually this is really convenient because I have a dream so I share with her my dream and she prays on it and she's like, I think I have a response, but it doesn't make sense to me, but maybe it'll make sense to you. And so she tells me, um, and I'm going to paraphrase because some of it is, you know, very personal too, but she just said, there is this like persistent thought that you think is negative and you keep trying to pull it out of you, but it's a part of who you are. Like it's not going to stop. It's a part of you and you have to embrace it. And that was the very paraphrased version of it. But I knew, I was like, God, what does that mean? Wow. And I know that sounds strange. It's like, it seems obvious in hindsight, but that prayer that I prayed in that dream at the initial moment didn't seem connected. But when she said that, I was like, oh my gosh, God, are you giving me permission? Like, are you, are you telling me that I can be fully native and, and fully in love with you? And those things are true. And so that was the interpretation, but I knew there was something more to it. I didn't know the story of porcupine. And so I was like, you know what? I need to really look into this. And so I found um, the Ojibwe story of porcupine and it goes like this. So long time ago when the earth was young, there was porcupine and he was just like all the other rodents and had no quills, but just had fur. And along would come bear and Bear would try to pounce on him and eat him. And Porcupine, one day when Bear came along, 
to do just the same. Um, he saved himself by running up a tree. But then the next day, he was on the bottom of that tree, eating, grazing, and he knew bear was coming soon. But he looked up, and it was a hawthorn tree. And those hawthorn trees are covered in thorns. He saw the thorns and thought that they could be useful. So he took the branches of the tree, took the thorns, and placed them on his back. And bear comes along. He goes to eat porcupine, and porcupine curls up into a ball, and bear is pricked by these thorns and runs away. Creator looks down and sees what Porcupine has done. And he comes and he says, Porcupine, how did you know to do that? He says, every day I am in danger of bear and I was tired. So I looked and I saw the thorns and I thought that they could be useful. Creator was so pleased by his ingenuity and Porcupine's wisdom that he had an idea. And Creator took the branches of the hawthorn tree and he peeled back the bark on the spikes so that the thorns would just be white. And he grabbed a handful of mud, placed it on Porcupine's back, and then put the thorns in the mud. And he said, now Porcupine, go back into the forest. Creator hid behind a tree. And sure enough, along comes Wolf. And Wolf is hungry, and he is ready to eat Porcupine, and so he goes to pounce on him, but has to run away howling, because he has been poked. Bear comes along, and doesn't even bother to mess with Porcupine, because he remembers what had happened the day before. They were both so pleased that Creator made the thorns permanent quills, and to this day, that's why Porcupine has quills. So that's the Ojibwe story of Porcupine, and I asked Spirit, what does that mean for me? What do I need? What wisdom do I see in that story? Why did you give me quills in this dream? And he expressed like he used his surroundings. He was, Porcupine was indigenous to this place. He knew his surroundings and he used them because that's where I placed him. And that's what I want you to do. Nothing less. Be who you are. Be where you are from. And be integrated into those things. Um, and that's the way I've made you basically was part of that. And so an amazing, amazing, um, experience. And I woke up and I never looked back and I was really born again, to be honest. It was the most transformative dream I'd ever had. That's powerful. How long ago was that? That was in 2017. Okay. So it was late November of 2017. So we're looking at just over three years. How has your faith and your perspective shifted? Because I would, I would assume, but it's an assumption that like, when did your decolonizing journey and your faith begin? Maybe that's what I should ask. Yeah. Um, my reconnecting to my traditions and my people started probably at the time of when I was 18. I'm turning 34 soon. Um, so that's been quite a few years, but specifically decolonizing my faith. Cause remember I had no context for that. Right. I had, I'd heard about, you can decolonize your food and your diet and decolonize like your learning and your education. But I had never considered if you can decolonize all that, why can't you decolonize your faith? Like, why can't you decolonize right. Jesus? Um, so I didn't, I didn't have like a resource for that. And so that's why the dream is so powerful. Cause it just proves like God will seek you out. Like, he will find you. And that's so important in this deconstruction conversation because I talk with so many people 
who are decolonizing, deconstructing, and they will feel like, am I losing God? Am I losing Jesus? Am I, am I giving up on him? And do you know that phrase, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater? Like, I want to tell them, like, don't throw baby Jesus out with the tainted baptismal water. Like, <laughs> keep Jesus. Throw the, the poor baptism out. <laughs> like, um, but really what you're losing is maybe your handed understanding of God. But you can't lose God. And that's what this whole conversation about is this connection. Like, even when you're sleeping, spirit will connect with you and find you. Whether you love Jesus or not. Like, we think about the famous people in the Bible who have had dreams. Like, you know, we think of Daniel and we think of Joseph. But there was also some, like, Pharaoh. And there was also the cupbearer and the baker, people who were not followers of God. He's meeting them. And so... I would say the decolonizing of my faith started at that moment um, because I felt this release to explore it. Yeah. And I was like, great, let's do this. Um, how? Like, <laughs> what does this look like? So I think I've already mentioned Richard Twist, but I, I literally Googled like Christian natives, indigenous followers of G- like all the, all the things, all the forms of it to see what I could find. And there was definitely some forebearers and some forerunners who had paved a really beautiful way of walking the red road while following Jesus. And Mm. Richard Twist was the first one I found. And so I read, like, ravenously read his first few books, watched all of his, you know, YouTube videos that might have been pre-recorded, and then found out he had passed away a few years ago. And I was Mm. so upset because I really genuinely wanted to meet him. But he had a super spiritual moment with the Lord that transformed him as well. Um, I'll leave your listeners to go find that yourself um, to see how he was transformed. But he and a group of people were fully convinced that God had made no mistake um, when he created us as indigenous people and put us on this place and that you could follow him. Every culture has things that need to be redeemed um, and that don't create that community of believers that Christ promises us. So I'm not saying like everything is hunky dory and everything goes, but I also am not saying everything has to go. <laughs> Neither was God. So that's where it started. Um, I fell in love with some people from the Nates community, which is um, an indigenous learning community, um, and have been following them. So definitely, I think the full force of decolonizing my faith. It started, truly started about three years ago. Wow. And that's what I, that's kind of what I was assuming, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's like, there's this moment of, it's hard for me to articulate, but like, there's this moment when you get free and things open to you Mm -hmm. and that gives you the courage to walk in that. Yes. Because part of like, for me, part of decolonizing is releasing fear, Mm -hmm. releasing, and there's so much fear in terms of like the exploration of the Mm -hmm. spiritual that is outside of what you've been given by white evangelicalism. And that's the tradition that I was like surrounded by, even when I wasn't a follower. And then when I did become a follower of Jesus, that was absolutely the tradition that just sucked me in. Yeah. 
And, you know, like I've been on my deconstruction journey for about eight years now. Mm-hmm. My decolonizing, you, you know, I could say that in bits and pieces, those things were happening and, and falling away. And as I dug deeper into community with people who were um, also in that space, um, but really like once you have that thing that unlocks the fear, yeah, it, it's like, it's just like the whole world opens up for sure. and expands, at least for me. Yeah, I had um, a very same experience. Yeah. But I haven't really talked about this a lot. Like I'm still doing mm-hmm. a lot of my own processing in this. And yeah, like the the book study that we're in right now mm-hmm. with Inverse, you know, I'm just sitting at the table with my husband and like he's so busy, he can't <laughs> be a part of it, but yeah. he'll eventually read it. But I'm just like, my mind is just exploding, expanding, growing. And in like, as that happens, you realize how much fear and how much that is so antithetical to Christ Mm -hmm. is really what forms modern day white evangelicalism. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's always going to be a process because I am still a mad up and I woman who is living in a land that is currently colonized and will for the foreseeable future will still be that way. And so that decolonizing and deconstructing is lifelong. I mean, it's, it's kind of the sentence of native people on this land, but the more I'm in it, I mean, there's just so much gold there. And I, I think the way I would sum it up is when we're talking about connections, it's just opening up, the boxed in idea of how you can connect and relate. It's just that, I mean, colonization is control. And so there has been a control over religion and a religious group came in and said to a people who were already experiencing God, you're doing it wrong, do it like this. And we had to learn a new language, a new way, a new everything And we lost our connection to spirit. We lost our ability to commune. So I think even if their intention was to connect us to God, the reality was they disconnected. But through the reality of like these dreams that we're talking about, which is a very human thing, to dream is to be human. Mm -hmm. Um, It just shows us God is not far from any of us. And it is a human right. And it is a naturally occurring experience to know him. It is your right to know God, and it's natural to connect with him. Anyone, there is no exclusions to that. To be human is to be spiritual and to connect with God. Amen. Um, yeah. So that's a, you know, I think we could, you know, move a, away from that a little bit and just, it really gives us a critique of modern um, missions and evangelism. Yes. Uh, and when I say modern, I think Constantine to present. empire 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 (laughs) yeah it ignores the omnipresence of god think about it i mean it's like you show up to this new quote-unquote new place to these people to an ancient people and assume that they know nothing of god and then you tell them there is a god and he made you and he has a purpose for you and he loves you and to their ears And they're like, and you need to know him and we're going to introduce you to him. And to their indigenous ears who have been living in this place since time immemorial, what they hear is, 
So there's a creator who made us. And you say he has feelings for us. But he left us for centuries, for thousands of years. And he's just now reintroducing himself. And it just happens to be through you. But you say he loves us. But he abandoned us for 100 Like, where is your theology in that moment? Exposed. <laughs> Naked. Got his pants down <laughs> to mm-hmm. his ankles. <laughs> right. Showing your butt. That's my mom's statement. She's very Southern. Don't show your butt. That your theology is showing its butt mm-hmm. <laughs> at that moment. Yes, very exposed. And it's it's crazy. And the indigenous people of this continent rightfully questioned that theology. And so in this American experiment, you also have an evan- an evangelism experiment, this missional experiment, um, experiment that took place, and it failed. Like, <sighs> totally failed. I... I was at the um, American Indian Health and Family Services in Detroit. It's this amazing place with a group of urban natives from all different tribes. And we come together and healthcare, language classes, dances, I mean, just whatever. We just, we are together and we are ourselves together. And so I went up there and um, I met a new friend and she asked me what I do for a living. And I'm always hesitant, not because I'm ashamed. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. And I'm also not ashamed of being a spiritual leader and being a pastor. But I do understand there's no framework other than the negative (laughs) when you're talking to Native people about this. And so she was like, what do you do for a living? And I was like, I'm actually a, a pastor. And she was like, she just looked at me a little kind of like cockeyed, like just, you know, t- tilted her head to the side, like, what? And I was like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a follower of Jesus. And she was like, I've never met anybody like you. And I was like, oh, you never met a native pastor? And she said, no, I've never met a native Christian in her whole life. She was 30. Wow. So your experiment to the native people of, Island has failed. Your missional experiment has failed. I mean, like, it's not working. Like, the way you brought Jesus here, the way you showed him is kind of a failure. Because the truth is, is God doesn't fit in a box and he doesn't, definitely doesn't fit in a European ship. Um, that's not when he came. And I talked with one person one day and they were non native and they were asking about some of the current struggles, modern day struggles of native people. Um, and I was just explaining about, you know, land rights and missing and murdered indigenous women and food deserts, health disparities, blah, blah, blah. I mean, just, I just, you know, just telling this person all about what was going on. And they're all a direct connection to the church and their evangelism of this land um, and colonization that was mixed in with it. And this person said, at least we brought you the gospel. Well, what's the gospel, right? Well, thank you. Hello? Like <laughs> Hello? the gospel? Oh, okay. The one that doesn't involve actual praxis? That doesn't bring good news? Free anybody? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. I'm Right. And whether they intended it to me- say this or not, what I heard was, no matter what the package looked like, as long as the contents was still the good news, it's okay. It made it worth it. Um, no matter what the good news is packaged in or how it comes, at least it's still the good news. So it was still 
in the end, it was worth it. And I'm saying the package and the contents are the same and they matter. Like your package, how you present the gospel absolutely does matter. And there's also this idea of like, well, at least we brought you the gospel. And there's this idea of God wasn't here. He didn't exist. This was a barren, wild, untamed continent with heathens who had no connection to the creator until, until we came. And thank God we did. <laughs> like, this is what I grew up with, though. Yeah, this like, is what I grew up with. Yeah, it's like this is what I grew up hearing. And it, it, yeah, I mean, I remember being invited to um, teach class by a teacher mm. one day because he starts off talking about how the indigenous were scalpers and doing And yep. I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, just like constantly fighting these narratives, but not yeah. even understanding that the entire root of this comes from manifest destiny and right. this missional, you know, white evangelicalism that yeah. that and holy this idea of a holy war reality like oh my gosh yes and so my my question in response to people because there are still many people who in the church who genuinely feel that way like they will they will identify the harms done and maybe ignorant to the modern issues that we deal with but can look back and say and i've heard people even say this in an anti-black way like Oh, you know, they need the bootstrap idea. They need to pull themselves up by the bootstrap and stop complaining because slavery is over. But man, the way the Americans handle the Native Americans, there's no excuse for that. I've literally heard that dozens of times. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, if interesting is the word, <laughs> right? I, I use that liberally. It, yes. <laughs> yeah, I do that too. <laughs> um, but I, there are still people who will think, you know, I'm ashamed of what America did to the native people that I'm so thankful. At least we brought you Jesus. And that is, that's a, it, it, it permeates our idea of mission still to this day. Um, Absolutely. And I would ask, I would ask a question back to people, maybe even listeners who maybe this is new for you. You've never thought about it in this way. And you might've thought, you know, I'm guilty of thinking like, well, at least Jesus is here now. Um, but I would question, did you bring us a gospel that was life and life abundantly? Did your gospel that you handed us, did it bring us life and life abundantly? Look around. Because that's what's promised, right? Isn't that what the gospel is? That's what's promised. Is that what you see as the reality of Native Americans? And to double back on that, and has what you brought resulted in a life that's more abundant than what creator had already given us before you came. Where were we then? And where are we now? And when you look at those hard realities, you're going to also have to look at what you actually brought. And it's not good news. And it wasn't Jesus. You brought us something that's like was stealing and killing and destroying. And that doesn't sound like Jesus to me. <laughs> like, I'll let everybody read in between the lines there. We need the organ here for today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need, we need all the things. Yeah, but that is, I don't know. I see it in current missions too. This idea that there's places in the world where God doesn't exist yet or God is not allowed 
And I ask you, where is that exactly? Given our understanding, our biblical understanding of who God is, where exactly are these places in the world where God doesn't exist and isn't allowed? Because I thought the earth was the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I thought he held everything together. Mm. I thought the same breath that keeps me alive and sustains me is the same breath that keeps people on other continents alive and sustains them. So who have we been praying to this whole time? Who have we been communing with in our dreams? Like, where is God not allowed? Tell me. And we think about these places and it emboldens people who have harmful colonizing tendencies to say, no matter what the package is that we bring the gospel to these people, no matter what harm it might do to them, at least we're going to give them Jesus and we're going to jump and run. Or worse yet, we're going to give them Jesus and we're going to take everything that we see in sight because we didn't see value in them, but we see value in this place. That's yucky. Beyond yucky. That's interesting. <laughs> right? That's interesting. I That's actually interesting. have lots of words for it, and they're not as nice Go, as yucky. Go. Tell me. No. What are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> well, before you, were, um, sh- before you shared your question, the thing that I just keep thinking about is fruit. Mm. And people love to quote that, you know, like, what is the fruit of something? Yes. You know, like, what's your fruit? What's your fruit? Well, let's look at the fruit. And your questions point very directly to what that fruit is. Yes. Oh, I just, I, I mean, I don't even know that I need to really add anything to what you've said. Because you just said, you, you pointed out so clearly what the fruit mm-hmm. of this gospel, and I'm using quotation marks, right. is. And it's not Jesus. No. And it's sad to me but I'm still kind of stuck. Like I'm really trying to press into having more love and grace and seeing through that lens because I do vacillate between that and rage, Mm -hmm. you know, but like, it's sad to me that God is so small to these people that they would think that they're systematic theological perspective of the world is flawless and perfect right and the arrival and the epitome of all that is right and just the arrogance involved in that but i've been there too like i have held these ideas i have internalized these ideas at times and i'm so grateful that i have broken free from that Um, And I'm so angry that there are people who are just like, they're stuck in that and they're enslaved to it. Very much so. Very much so. I mean, I've heard expressed like, we all need to be freed from white supremacy, those who uphold it and those who are underneath it. It, We all suffer under it and can't truly have this harmonious community that God intended with these hierarchies that divide us. Um, I'm with you on the, you know, vacillating between grace and love and acceptance and anger and rejection and all those things. Um, But I, like I said, I see it in myself. I've lived it. I've been a part of that world. And so I try to stay humble in those things um, and not create my own hierarchy. 
in trying to remove hierarchies. <laughs> like it's a like, tough thing. I've arrived and you're still back there. Totally. Um, it's that's not going to get us free. But I'm human too. I feel that. I feel that when someone asks me if their Hobby Lobby picture of an arrowhead is going to open up portals in their home. I feel that. <laughs> yeah. It's so, I mean, because it's so dehumanizing. It it's is. so degrading and so um, minimizing. And at the same time, it's just such a sad reflection on how small their faith is mm. and how fear-based it is and how so that's where I'm trying to cultivate, not not in like a pity sense, but just like, yeah. man, that is right. so heartbreaking. Absolutely. And that's where I can see that like there's been a theft for this woman who came to you and spoke to you about mm -hmm. this, representing large swaths of people, that that would be their belief and their perspective. For sure. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. But it, it boils down to this, you know, one of the things that colonization did for us is it created a dualistic world. And it just says there are places where God is and there are places where God's not. There are things that God is in and then there are things that God is not in. Yes. And um, that wasn't the reality for Native people before colonization. Um, it was a continuous, beautiful connection and respect to all things that creator had made and creator themselves. Um, and that that's a big loss. That's a big loss. And I, I shouldn't say it's fully gone because, you know, there are people who uh, by God's grace remained and have preserved and persevered. And there are currently um, natives who are choosing to follow Christ um, through their traditions. And they're finding that. And so it's been beautiful to return back to some of that, but it still can be equally natural and unnatural. Like it feels yeah. natural to my soul and my being, but right. it feels unnatural to my, my cultural, like Western upbringing and understanding. Yeah. Well, um, and that teaches you not to trust right. your gut and your instinct, right? thinking about white evangelicalism and the colonized gospel and the way that it disembodies us. You, you know, it's like you have to be disembodied to believe it and to follow it. And you have to ignore your instincts and ignore your gut and, it, you know, and ignore your culture and all of these things and just how it's this constant theft and dismembering yeah. of us. And that is not the gospel. That is not good news. And so as I've been stepping into a more embodied, holistic, uh, decolonized faith, like it's exciting. It's mm -hmm. good news. Like, it right. Is. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know how the good joy. this good is. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's not very eloquent, but that, that's kind of the best I can uh, verbalize yes. what I'm feeling at the moment. Absolutely. I can totally relate to that. I have, when I express myself as a Mattapanai woman, deeply in love with Jesus, I feel a connection that I had never felt before. 
because I'm truly me. Like I'm, I'm being who God intended me to be. I mean, how does, when the Bible says the rocks cry out and the birds praise him, like they have their unique ways of being and connecting with spirit. And so do I. And he made, he was not a mistake that he made me as a man of an eye woman. And he intends me to be nothing less than that. And that's how he wants my praise to be expressed, like to fully live out my type of human. Like, watch me be human. This is how I human. (laughs) And it just so happens to look like this. When we talk about like global missions, because my fear is that this idea that there are places where God is not and is not allowed, so we must go is still very, very, very much a part of our modern missions. And I see it mostly in the indi- to the indigenous populations of the globe. Yes. South America, Africa, Asia, like the islands. This is where we're going to these pockets where these people have been. Um, this, is, this is where they were birthed from. And it's to these indigenous populations. And... It, it brings me fear, just to be honest. It brings me fear that we still are, I think we think we're bringing the good news and we're not realizing we're colonizing as we do it. Um, but I think about these places were the places that these people have remained at since God formed them from the dust of the very land that they've always been on. I mean, this is the place of their origin where they have seen signs and wonders and they have passed these stories down to their children's from generation to generation and you dare show up and say you know nothing of god you are standing in a place of these people's genesis you are walking through their garden of eden where they have walked in the cool of the day with spirit for centuries this is their place of origin and you come in and you say, you know, nothing of God. And it's like, who do you think you are? Like, take off your shoes. You are on holy ground. Start there. Start there. And then ask first, what would change about modern missions if you asked first when you arrived at a place? What do you know of God? Tell me, how has God been at work in this land? Instead of assuming <laughs> that it's barren and void of him. What would change if we started from that place and still share what you know of Christ, his life and his crucifixion and his burial and his resurrection, but didn't start from a place of you are ignorant and I carry God and I'm bringing him to you. But start from a place of we are coming to holy ground. We are coming to someone's Eden where they have been with the Lord. Tell me what you know of him. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, I think it would change a lot. But to like, like you said earlier, what does it say of the theology? It exposes the theology. One native, um, it was sad. They asked, somebody was interviewing them and they said, what would you say to the Christians? And this was someone on a reservation. So let's put this person in in their location. They are off of their original ancestral homelands because they've been moved and displaced by Christians. They no longer have their, their language um, or most of their practices because of Christian boarding schools. Their family units have been 
completely demolished in their original sense and how they used to connect because of boarding schools and, and death experiences and all these types of things. Okay. And this person doesn't have running water. They don't have clean water. They're in a food desert intentionally placed in a part of America that is not great for growing food. Okay. So these places are getting boxes of food from the government, very poor quality, and they're experiencing health disparities. And so this interviewer says, what would you say to the Christians? And this poor girl said, please just leave us alone. That was her response. Please just leave us alone. And she cannot be alone in that. But the hope in this whole conversation is that God, Spirit, the great mystery, never leaves us alone. Never. Even in the places where the church has deemed that he is not and he can't be, even in our sleeping hours, when we are not conscious or aware of what's going on, spirit is connecting to us because it is human to connect with spirit. And it's our right. It's how he made us. This is how we human. We connect with spirit. And so they don't get the final word. <laughs> they don't get to say who gets God and who doesn't. Um, he seeks after us. That's beautiful. So Sarah, do you have anything going on um, where people can follow you, support your work? What are you up to and how can people follow you? Absolutely. So uh, my husband and I are um, starting a church in Monroe in our hometown um, or his hometown. I said, our, isn't that cute? I'm here. <laughs> See, <laughs> I'm really putting my roots in. Um, it's named Monroe City Church. Uh, and that has not launched yet due to like construction issues. And now of course, COVID We're waiting to find out when, uh, the healthiest time would be to start up. So hopefully in the near future, um, COVID depending, we'll have Monroe City Church, but in the meantime, um, you can find me on Instagram. That's probably the, I, I'm not a big social media person. You'll find most natives aren't. <laughs> so, but I do understand it's a good tool. So if you want to find me on social media, uh, Instagram is the best place for that. And you can find me my handle is Quint, Q-U-I-N-T underscore Sarah, S-A-R-A-H. Uh, that's where I'm at. Um, and then Hopefully in the near future, I'm working on a couple of song projects, um, writing uh, prayers and worship songs in my traditional tongue. And as soon as that's out, I'll let everybody know on my Instagram and a couple of other secret projects, um, but all in the same vein of being fully mad at and fully a follower of Jesus and what that looks like. Thank you so much. This has been just a healing conversation for me. I've really appreciated it. Good. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me on today, Tim. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Story Power Podcast. Welcome. If this is your first episode, um, you will note that every episode is just as unique and different as the individual who's coming on the show. I am open to any and all stories within reason, um, but if you know me, you probably understand my qualifiers on that. 
And yeah, this is really just a space for people to come and talk about who they are and what their life experience is and share their hearts and passions and stories with us. So thank you for listening. This episode with Sarah Quint was really personal for me, as you probably could tell. Um, It was also close to two hours long. So what I decided to do, because it killed me to cut any of it, is to put the full episode, which is about an hour and 40 minutes long, where Sarah shares another dream, and I even share a dream that I had um, in the Patreon community. Surprise, there is a Story Power Podcast Patreon community. I'm just getting ready to launch it here. So if you head to my Instagram page and go to the link in bio, you'll be able to find information on just the levels and what's offered. Uh, And also, if you could go and you could rate and review this podcast, that would be awesome. I would really appreciate it. Subscribe, rate, review. That gets us more views. So anyway, thanks for listening. And uh, next episode is going to be with author Justin McRoberts. So I'm excited about that. Stay tuned.